scripture. Yeah, I hope you got that. That'll, those will be things they'll remember the rest of their life. Boy, it's, there's nothing better than learning some scripture for your whole life. Memorizing scripture through song. Boy, they did a great job. I was excited about that. They sang out so well, and they looked like they'd really practiced, didn't they? And they did, obviously. They did a great job. Well, you can be proud of them, that's for sure. Take your Bible, turn over the book of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to, um, we're going to begin in the 18th verse of that chapter. We're in our Characters of Christmas study. And last week we dealt with Mary. Today we're going to focus our attention on Joseph and see what we can learn from Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, today we ask, Lord, for your blessing on this simple message. May it, Father, truly be driven deep in our hearts. May we leave here with a simple thought that will revolutionize our Christian life. And Lord, if we've already received it and we've already applied this truth, may we never forget how important a truth it is and how imperative it is to follow through with it. Father, we need you, and we thank you for Joseph, and Father, just for his faithfulness, his character. Lord, we thank you for the example that he left us. Help us now, Lord, to glean from your precious word. Be glorified in this time together. Lord, fill me with your spirit and allow me, Father, to be your mouthpiece. And Lord, be with these listeners. May their ears be open, both spiritually and physically. We'll thank you as you do your perfect work in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, in our passage, uh, we, we immediately are confronted with Joseph. This bigger-than-life character that we speak about and hear about at the Christmas season every year. Joseph, the husband of Mary. In this particular passage, in verse 19, we note that Joseph was very confused. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public public example, was minded to put her away privily. 
What in the world was he so confused about? He was confused because the woman that he was going to marry was found with child. Well, that was a big problem. He had already been espoused to her. He's already entered into an actual contract. He's already legally binding and binded and married to her. They just have yet to consummate the marriage. And now all of a sudden, here he finds that his wife here, his espoused wife, is with child. He doesn't know what to do now. He has no idea how to handle it. He's thinking to himself, well, I have the right because we are legally married. I have the opportunity to go ahead and publicly uh, uh, have her stoned to death. In those days, you didn't commit adultery. In those days, if you did, you could be killed. Well, a lot different than our culture, a lot different than our society, a lot different than our age and our time. I do have a feeling that if that was the punishment for such behavior... I don't care what they say, I think it would cause others to think twice. I'm not saying that I want it to be that way, but what I am saying is, whether they want to say you can't legislate morality or not, I'll guarantee it would certainly hinder people or hamper them from going that direction. Now, all I know is in this particular case, he had that legal right, and it was passing through his mind. There was great confusion in the heart and in the mind of Joseph. Great confusion. But Joseph, we know, was not only confused, he was confronted. In verse 20, we see here that while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. That angel goes on to tell him or gives him a message from God. He says, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Notice his wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He says, listen, I'm just letting you know, Joseph, that that which was within the the womb of your wife, that espoused wife of yours, Mary, is conceived of the Holy Ghost. There's no other man involved here but God himself. He is confronted by this heavenly being, this angel of the Lord, which is here to give him this message that makes it very clear to him That Mary was indeed a chaste young woman. He was confronted. It goes on, of course, to tell him that this particular child or offspring would certainly be the fulfillment of a prophecy long ago. And that he was the Messiah. No less than God himself that would be born, live and die on this earth to pay for the sins of mankind. He was confused. He was confronted. In verse 24, we notice that he was convinced. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. This angel, obviously, of the Lord convinced him of the information. He said, yep, okay, I don't fully understand it. I can't really comprehend it. It's hard to wrap my mind around it. I had had this espoused wife, Mary. We had already entered into a legally binding contract. We've already had a ceremony, so to speak, that put us into each other's arms, and yet we were prepared to consummate the marriage. And upon that, that particular time, I recognized, realized that she's with child. This is blowing me away. The angel says, well, listen, don't you worry, don't you fret. It's all right, because that which is in her is of the Holy Ghost. Oh, okay. And then he finally, after hearing what the, Holy, what the, what the Lord God is sharing with him through this angelic uh, heavenly being, he says, okay, I'm okay with this. I can deal with this. I'm confident that indeed what is inside her is the byproduct of God himself. And he is convinced. And he takes her and moves forward and says, that's fine. 
In verse 25, we see that he is, yes, confused originally, confronted, and then convinced, but he's committed. The Bible says, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. He called his name Jesus. The two had committed themselves to remain separated. Would not consummate their wedding vows until after the birth of Jesus Christ. This man Joseph was a man of character. This man Joseph was a godly man. He had heard God's messenger and he obeyed God's voice and he waited for God to do his work in the life of his wife. Then he and her came together. And the Bible teaches us that they did have other children, contrary to what some have taught. We learned last week that Mary was espoused. And we began to deal with that issue. We talked about it. And as we said, we wanted there to be no confusion that she was given in marriage. She was legally spoken for. She was betrothed. That means she was set apart to Joseph as his wife at that time. The only thing they were waiting for was him to procure his finances, to prepare his house, and to also go get his wife and to bring her with him to that place to consummate that marriage. They were as good as married, as married as anybody in this room that wears a ring or that stood before a preacher and said, I do. And being legally wed, Joseph, he had some tough decisions to make now. Again, it says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. He had some problems, this Joseph did. He had some real issues, folks. I mean, you've got to try to understand this. As we mentioned last week, here's this young girl. She's probably anywhere from 12 to 16 years of age, and she's now with a child, and yet it's not her husband's child. And here he is now thinking to himself, man, what kind of guy am I? Here's this young girl, never been with anybody, and all of a sudden she's pregnant by another, man's, uh, by another man. Who, what does that mean to me? I mean, you've got to understand how this man must have felt in his heart when he originally heard this news. He had some problems. His heart was devastated, folks. It was totally and completely broken. What was he to think? His love had betrayed him. You say, oh, no, he should have had more faith in that. Would you have? I mean, just imagine you go home today and your wife says, guess what? I'm with child of the Holy Ghost. You'd be like, bam, zoom. You know, just like that uh, Jackie Gleason, you know. Are you kidding me? Oh, oh, that's why I'll be waiting for the angel to tell me. You wouldn't do that. You would lose your mind. You'd be insanely jealous. You'd go crazy feeling like somebody had just punched you in the gut and there was no oxygen to breathe. You'd feel betrayed in every sense of the word. It'd be horrible. His heart was devastated. His happiness was demolished. I mean, his joy. I mean, can you imagine? He's excited. I'm going to go. We're consummating the marriage. That's a big deal, folks. If you've been married. And all of a sudden, he finds this news out. I mean, his happiness, this joy that he had, this overwhelming joy is turned to grief immediately. He goes from happy to sad in moments. Not only was his heart devastated, his happiness demolished, but his hope was destroyed. I mean, all his dreams of a 
of a life and family melted away in that very moment. Listen to me, it wasn't, it isn't like today where people go out and do whatever they want and then they go, well, guess what, I'm done sowing my wild oats, let's get together and get married. It wasn't like that, folks. I mean to tell you, this woman was unclean. And here he was, prepared to marry her. He's probably twice her age, maybe. If she was 14, he could have been anywhere from probably 20 to 28, 35 years of age even. I don't know, it doesn't say that he had other wives, so therefore he had kept himself to that time. He had looked forward to that day. He had thought to himself, I finally found somebody compatible with me. I finally found somebody that's old enough now, and and we've been put together. Who knows, it may have been arranged even. I don't know. But what I do know for a fact is that his dreams of a family, a future, were now dashed. According to the passage, he was leaning toward putting her away privately. So he says, well, he was going to put her away privately. No, he was thinking about that. That's where his mind was. He was giving great consideration. He had thought to do that. And in the midst of that that thought process, the angel of the Lord shows up now. And in Matthew 1.20, it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David... Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. A a dream. I mean, he didn't even show up in person. I mean, he didn't just appear. I mean, Joseph obviously went to sleep that night a mess. So what does Joseph teach us this morning? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, look there if you would. Notice it says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, here it is now, don't miss it, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He went to sleep, I mean, When he laid his head on the pillow, it's amazing that he fell asleep at all. Let's face it. His heart devastated, his happiness demolished, his hope destroyed and dashed. And in the midst of that evening, that night of sleep or rest, the Holy Spirit of God, or should I say, the angel of the Lord shows up in a dream and says, Don't be afraid to marry her. God lives inside her. And the Bible says that he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Joseph teaches us to obey. Joseph teaches us to obey. Obedience is a constant theme in the Word of God. You can't get away from it. At every turn in the Bible, one can see a sign with those four letters etched deep into it. Obey. 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 Whether it's the Old or the New Testament, obedience marks the faithful and it describes the disciple of Christ. Obedience is the difference between the mediocre and the memorable. It is the characteristic that distinguishes the mundane and the miraculous in the lives of God's children. Obey. That simple 
four-letter word, obey. And although this word is short, its implications are eternal. In every generation, every single generation, God's children have to make the choice to either obey or disobey. You know, Noah heard the voice of God and he had a choice to make. He had to choose whether he would put his personal plans and dreams on hold in order to accept the calling of God in his life. You remember the situation back there in Genesis 6. The world had rebelled against God. He had even repented that he had created mankind. And now he was going to bring a cataclysmic flood to the world and literally consume the earth with water. And in this particular situation, he comes to Noah and says, Noah, build me an ark. Noah had to make up his mind. What am I going to do with my life? Am I going to live it for myself? Am I going to go home for my family? Am I going to continue in my employment? Or am I going to turn my life over to God and the call of Him? Well, I want you to know, he would lay his business aside, he would put his sons to work, and he began to prepare an ark that at that point, at that point in history, had no purpose at all. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, would he expose his family to the sharp and stinging ridicule of the community? I mean, would he endure the rigor of, and even the self-sacrifice of a 120-year project? It would be 120 years that God put up with mankind. So it appears that the ark was a number of years in making. Would he place his reputation on the line in order to obey the voice of God? Hey, listen, every generation and every single person who names the name of Christ has to choose either to obey or disobey God. Israel had been in bondage for over 400 years when God finally revealed himself to Moses through a burning bush. You remember, he'd been on the backside of the desert for 40 years and there taking care of the sheep. He sees a funny sight. He finds himself compelled to go over and view it. And there he sees a burning bush and He enters upon holy ground. He takes off his shoes. The Lord begins to speak to him through that burning bush. He ultimately calls Moses to the service of the king. And he says, I'm going to send you to Egypt to deliver my people. I've heard their voice and their cry. They need somebody. Moses had a choice to make. He made it. And he went. But when he arrives there in Egypt, he finds that there's a Pharaoh in charge. A Pharaoh who wasn't looking very kindly to the, Egypt, to the Israelite God. A, a Pharaoh that wasn't very compliant. A Pharaoh that wasn't very easy to get along with. And before it was all said and done, God brought plagues and God brought some horrible things to pass in order to ultimately tenderize and soften the heart of this hard-hearted Pharaoh. There they made their way out of Egypt ultimately and they find themselves uh, between a rock and a hard place. There the Red Sea and there Pharaoh and his armies. At each and every turn, God's people had to make a decision to either obey God or to disobey. They had been in bondage over 400 years, and now they are a free people. And although God had supernaturally delivered them from Egypt, although He miraculously granted them with dry passage through the Red Sea, and although He amazingly provided for their every need along that desert journey, the Israelites would ultimately say no to God when it came time to enter into the promised land that He had given them. 
They would disobey God. And instead of obedience, instead of reward, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. A whole generation died. And only a small remnant entered into the promised land to enjoy the rest that God had intended for them. Every generation and every person must choose whether they will obey or disobey God. King Saul had received instruction from God to literally destroy Amalek along with every living creature. Again, this was an idolatrous nation, a very ruthless nation, a very wicked nation. And God had given marching orders to his king, King Saul, and said, destroy them all, everything that breathes, everything. Well, the Lord provided the slaughter and he granted the victory, but Saul had neglected God's word. He even went as far as to blame the people for the disobedience. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 15, we read, But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Again, King Saul trying to say, The people did this. The people did this. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord so great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. It doesn't matter if you have good intentions or not. Good intentions are never a substitute for simple obedience. Never. We got a million of them. Why didn't you do what God said? Well, because I, but I, and I could, and there's always good intentions, I'm sure. But good intentions are never a substitute for simple obedience. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of missionary Jim Elliot, Remember, he dealt with the Alka Indians and lost his life there. But nonetheless, she, Elizabeth, told of her brother Thomas and a situation that had taken place when they were both very young. She said their mother had let him play with paper bags she saved if, if only he would put them away afterwards. One day she walked into the kitchen to find them just strewn all over the floor. Tom was out at the piano and at the time he was actually singing some hymns with his father there. And when he was confronted, he he cried out to his mama, But mama, mama, I want to sing. I want to sing. And his father said, It's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. It's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. I have to believe that he made his son Thomas get up from the piano seat and make his way into the kitchen where he had to pick up those bags. Because singing praise to God isn't any good if you don't, if you're disobedient. Do you realize that even grace itself does not nullify or delete the need for obedience? Someone says, but we got the grace of God, so, you know, it's all right. I'm going to heaven either way. Who cares? So I don't do everything the way he says, and I don't always abide by the word of God. But I've got the grace of God. That's all that really matters. I want you to know that that's addressed over in the book of Romans chapter 6. Over there in verses 1 and 2, when the apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What he's basically saying is, can we disobey God now that grace is here? Can we just neglect God and His Word? No, you can't neglect God and His Word. According to the Bible, he says, God forbid. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you've truly been born again, if you've really been saved, if you've been transformed by the renewing power of the Holy Ghost, then how in the world, and why in the world, do you want to continue in sin? James goes on to tell us to be very careful not to deceive ourselves by simply claiming belief while not obeying. He says in James chapter 1 verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Obedience is at the very heart and foundation of the Christian life. And any genuine godliness or even moral character found at its root will be obedience. You can't have those things. You say, I have some, I have some genuine godliness without obedience? That's impossible. I, I'm, I have some moral character without obedience? No. See, the Word of God is what says, Thou shalt not. You either are obedient or you're not. You know, when they put a skyscraper into the sky, I mean, let's face it, they reach way up there, hundreds and hundreds of feet. When they, when they put up a skyscraper, they put a, a lot of work into the foundation. They do a number of things to sure the foundation before they start worrying about the walls, don't they? You know why? Because they want to make sure that it'll keep standing. That it'll remain standing. You know, obedience to God is the best foundation to lay when building our lives. Without obedience, we will never be able to remain standing. And God wants His people to stand. Obedience. Why are so many families falling? Because we're not being obedient. So many teenagers falling? They're not being obedient. Why is our nation falling? Because we're not being obedient. There's no stability in disobedience. Sadly, rebellion seems to be a way of life in America. It's, it's a celebrated way of life. It's almost as if when you're rebellious, you're attractive to people. Well, what's wrong with that? Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. He goes on to tell us later in the book of Isaiah that neither could they blush, meaning that they weren't even embarrassed by their sin, even though it was public and it was open. May I say we live in a world today where there is no personal responsibility for sin. We don't feel any real debt of, of, of uh, responsibility to the next generation. We just live our lives however we choose, and we let the chips fall where they may. Oh, we're allowed, you know, if I'm a bad boy, that's a good image. Isn't that pitiful? That is how it is in our culture. Girls run around, I want the bad boy. Yeah, until you marry him, and he doesn't come home with a paycheck, and he's out getting drunk and sleeping with other women. You act like I said something wrong. Let me tell you something today. We're sitting here talking this little mamby-pamby stuff to all of our young people. Let me tell you, they better hear how it really is. You better quit hiding the truth from them and tell them how great everything is when it's not. 
I was telling the, the adult Bible class today that I got a, the opportunity and privilege to teach. I told them, you know what one of the saddest things is about believers today? Is that we forget how bad it was when we were lost and living in sin. All we can remember is the pleasure of sin, not the consequences of it. And we certainly, we get to a place sometimes in our lives where we forget what that burden of sin was like. We forget how filthy we felt. And we forget how burdened we felt. And we forget about how disgusting we felt inside our bodies. And then we got right with God and the weight was lifted off and we were free again, free to serve God and free to go forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we felt a freedom that we hadn't felt in our whole lifetime. And all of a sudden, when a bad thing hits in our life, situations, circumstances seem to weigh heavy on us. It seems like we go back and we will lament. We lament the pleasure of sin because we forgot what it cost us. I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing good about a bad boy. And there is nothing good about a bad girl. And yet in our culture, in our country, we live it up and we put it on the television and we we put them on billboards and we say, that's the way to live. What they're saying is that bad is good and good is bad. We parade that mentality and that attitude before our children. We reinforce it through what we watch and what we do. We giggle and we laugh about things that are disgusting in the sight of a holy God. And we wonder why our children grow up to want the world. And if you do your very best as a parent and you try all you can to build this world of holiness and righteousness and you try to spare them from the hurt and heartache of sin, you still have the world and the devil fighting you tooth and nail. Joseph teaches us a very simple principle this morning. Obedience. To obey God. The earlier one learns to obey, the better. Ideally, obedience is to be taught in our homes. And then it is learned in our hearts. James T. White has said that perhaps the most effective illustration of obedience is, to re- is the reply of the mother of George Washington made at the banquet given to the Allied officers after the surrender of Lord Cornwallis. He said, this was the greatest example or illustration of obedience that I have ever saw personally. He said, a distinguished French officer asked Washington's mother how she managed to rear such a splendid son. She replied, I taught him to obey. That's it. Let me tell you something. If there's one thing that we as believers need to learn when it comes to our Heavenly Father and us as His children, is to simply obey. Do you realize the heartache you could be sparing yourself if you would only obey God? Do you realize the heartache you can spare your children and their children and their children's children if you obey? Do you realize how different the world would be if people simply obeyed God and His Word? How different would it be at your workplace? How different would it be in, 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 uh, uh, even in our church today if everyone obeyed God's Word? How, how, how different would life be? 
You say, well, I can't change this world, but you can change your world. I want to encourage you today to obey. That's what Joseph teaches us. That's what Joseph teaches us. Tonight I'm going to share three thoughts about obedience. We don't have time to get to it today. But I want to close with this simple thought or this simple illustration that I think goes to the real issue. I'm very concerned, as I'm sure many of you are, that we have lost sight of obedience. Oh, we're obedient when it's convenient. But are we obedient in the midst of circumstances that even Joseph found himself in? Is your obedience for sale? I mean, if the right circumstances come along, if the right situation rises its ugly head even, would you be willing to sell your obedience and walk in disobedience? I mean, what will keep you from God's house? What will keep you from God's word? What will keep you from living your life in accordance to the scriptures? What will keep you from abstaining from things that are visibly and very clearly outlined as sin in the Bible? Is there a price? Does that price include a skirt? Does it include a handsome man? Does it include something you drink or something you smoke or something you do? Does it include your anger, your temper, your personal attitude or upbringing? I mean, are there things that have happened that you permit yourself to say, well, in this situation, I don't have to do what God says. I'll do as I please. That's a dangerous place to be. I want to encourage you to not disobey God willfully. There's no perfect people in this room. You don't need to look around to to see anybody that's a sinner. You just need to look in the mirror. We're all in the same boat. But what's your heart today? Is it truly your desire to obey God? For a long time... The missionary was searching for a word for obedience. It was a virtue that he claims the natives never, ever practiced. One day he said that, he said, as I went home from the village, my dog stayed behind. I whistled and he came running after me at top speed. An old native man by the roadside said with admiration, Mui Adam de la That's how I read it, which literally meant, it literally meant, dog yours, ear is only. Dog yours, ear is only. That is, what he was saying was, your dog is all ear. Huh. He said, I got a hold of that expression at once, and I found that I had a beautiful word for obedience Let us be all ear to our Lord. May we be all ears when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. May we choose to listen and choose to obey His every command. May we, may His voice literally prompt our attention. May, you know, you've seen that when you've cried out to your dog and you've said their name, their ears pop up. May our ears pop up when we hear His voice. 
And may we respond with action. Peter, Forsyth, was right when he made this statement. He said, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. I want you to search your heart today. Now, I know I'm talking to a majority of probably those who claim to be believers in Christ, who have accepted Christ as Savior. But let me ask you, who is your master today? You can be saved and place yourself on the throne of your life. Joseph was faced with horrible situation. His heart devastated, his happiness demolished, his hope destroyed. And yet, when he received word from heaven above, <laughs> the Bible tells us he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He obeyed. He took a chance. No, he didn't. He obeyed God. There's no chance there. It's always in your best interest to obey. It's always the best decision and the best choice. And I want to encourage you this morning to obey God. Maybe you're lost today. You've never, ever asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord, your Savior. The Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's saying God's will, His desire, His longing is that every single person on planet Earth ultimately cries out to him for mercy and asks for his forgiveness, the forgiveness that was provided for humanity on Calvary. That blood that was shed 2,000 years ago by Jesus on that cross is sufficient payment for all sin, past, present, and future. And he says, I only want you to acknowledge that Jesus, my son, Emmanuel, who literally was God with us, died in your place to pay for your sin. Will you obey my cry? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me. Will you obey this morning? And as a believer, who's your master? Will you obey? Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time that we've had together today. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless us, help us, and encourage us. Lord, we are in desperate need of your touch. Lord, there may be those in our midst that have yet to even receive and accept Christ. Lord, may they be obedient. May they be simply obedient today to obey your cry, your call. Father, you've made it perfectly clear to us that you want us to come to you. Oh, Father, you said if we thirst or if we're hungry to come to you. You said that if we're weary to come to you. Lord, if we are lost without Jesus, if we have no hope of eternal life, we must come. May we be obedient today. In just a moment, Lord, help them to have the courage, those that have yet to come to you, to respond to your word. Give them the courage in just a moment to find the closest aisle and make their way forward to me where I'll have someone take a Bible and show them how they can know for sure heaven's their home. Lord, may you be with every believer today. Help us to ask ourselves the question and truly search our hearts.
who is my master? Who is really on the throne of my life? Who has been given the authority to tell me what to do? And I will obey. Father, we'll thank you, praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the pianist plays, you come. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Come on, slip out in the closest aisle. Come see me. All the altars are here. They're open for those that know Christ as Savior. If you've been saved, you've been born again, yes. You've asked Christ to come into your life as Lord, and you know without a doubt heaven's your home one day. The altars are open. But if I don't have that settled, if you don't have it settled, see me today. Real quickly, come on now. We're not going to waste a lot of time today. We're going to get her done. Let's get it happening. Let's make it happen. The music's playing.